progress. Everybody say a pilgrim's progress. And I'll explain that in just a moment. And as we, as we begin this study tonight, let's just pray and ask God to speak to us and transform our lives by the power of his word. Father, tonight we embrace your word and we ask you, Lord, to speak, to speak to us clearly. Speak to us, Lord, through the power of your word. Lord, let your word make a big difference in our lives tonight. And Lord, let us be faithful to you uh, in the study of these two books, these two letters that were written by Paul, uh, pardon me, by Peter, uh, to the church that had been persecuted. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. With that in mind, let me just kind of give you a... a a suggested theme. I believe you could probably find, a, a, you know, different angles, but I believe uh, that this this theme is really the reality of these two letters, uh, and it is this. Here's the theme. Hit, hit it for me, Ike. Uh, the possible theme is this: progressing through life, through this life, into that life, in the face of adversity and pressure. Let's read that together. Progressing through this life, into that life in the face of adversity and pressure. Now, I'm going to explain that to you a little better tonight, but you'll see uh, uh, more clearly why this is really, I believe, the I said possible theme because I think you could find a lot of sub-themes, but when, you, when we get through these two letters, you're going to discover that that's what Peter's concern was for uh, the church that had been persecuted to the point of being scattered throughout different regions of the known world. So with that in mind, let's read together the first five verses. Follow along. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Everyone say the pilgrims. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. How many of you know we have an inheritance? And here it is. This is why he redeemed us. He says he, 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 he begot us again. That means he paid for us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and the, and, and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. And everybody said amen. So we see a lot there, and I'm gonna, hey, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at verse three, four, and five, uh, or three and four a little bit tonight. We'll go back and, and look at it in a little more detail next week, but, uh, just want to kind of build some foundation here for you in reference, uh, 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 to the, the, the letter and why, uh, Peter was writing this letter. And, and so let's just jump in. Understanding verse one. Verse one, uh, is, is, seems like, uh, uh, just a simple thought. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Uh, but, uh, there's a lot there we need to know. The context, uh, is important. But these first five, or pardon me, these first six letters, they reveal a dramatic transformation of the common man. When you think about Peter, now, how many of you remember how Peter met Jesus Christ? Anybody remember? Where, where, where was he? What was he doing when Jesus walked into his world and got up in his business? He was fishing. He was a fisherman. And Luke chapter 5 tells the story there at the Sea of Galilee, how Peter, just a fisherman, just a common fisherman there at the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus got into his boat. How many of you know Jesus loves us all enough to get in our boat? And he got in Peter's boat and he began to share the gospel. And then, then he told them to launch out their nets for a catch. They've been, they've been fishing all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, everybody say at your word. And so they launched out and they, they got a net breaking boat sinking load after a night of fishing with no luck. Uh, and Peter recognized he was in the presence of someone, uh, supernatural and he began to repent and he began to, uh, 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 just fall before the Lord. 
And uh, you know the story how Jesus uh, ministered to him and said, you know, you've been catching fish, but if you'll follow me, you can catch men. And it says, from that time, Peter and three other of the fishermen, they forsook their nets and they began to follow him. And let me just say, when you come to a place in life, when you forsake this life for his life, things begin to change in your life. And when you read through the life of Peter, there was a lot, there was some good things and some bad things that he dealt with in his life. As he began to follow Christ, he was rough around the edges. How many of you, if you look at your life, you can still say, I'm a little rough around the edges. Amen. Am I the only one? How many of you, you look at your life and go, whoo, there's some things that, that need to change in my life. And so from that day that there by the Sea of Galilee to the day that he penned this letter to these, uh, these pilgrims, uh, of the dispersion, that dispersion is a, a scattering, uh, because of persecution. We'll look at that in a moment. When he wrote that letter, he, he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Some things had changed in his life. He went from just a simple follower to an apostle of Jesus Christ. And as you know, you know, even, uh, you know, at the, at the, uh, beginning of the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter denied the Lord and he went out and wept bitterly. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ walks back into his life and, and challenges him to pick it up and get going. And, and he said, Peter, do you love me? You can read this in John 21. And, and uh, he said, you know I do, but I don't know that I love you the way I need to love you to do what you've called me to do. And you know the story. Jesus loves him and puts him back into the ministry. Uh, and then he begins to, he becomes an apostle. He becomes a, a leader in the church and, a, and the first Pentecostal preacher. So that transformation happened in his life. It's a testimony. Just the fact that we can look at the life of Peter who wrote these two letters and look at his life and see where he began and where he ended his life uh, and where his life was taken from him. Uh, 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 historians tell us he, he was martyred and he, he, he chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as of his Lord. And so uh, his life became a life of transforming testimony. In fact, let me just show you something about Peter in Matthew 16. Turn over to Matthew 16. I, I, I learned this little mini lesson about, uh, about Peter and, and, uh, his transformation in his life from a man by the name of Frank Damasio, who wrote, uh, really a classic on leadership. The, uh, let's say it's called The Making of a Leader. I read it years and years ago. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity of actually meeting him and, and thanking him for some of the truths and leadership principles I've learned. But uh, he took us in the book. He takes us in the book and the making of a leader to this this uh, 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 story of Peter uh, with Jesus. And Peter, Jesus asked a question. Who do men say that I am? Look in verse 15 or 14 and 15, 13, 14, 15. He asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and, uh, and others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And now this is where Peter pipes up. Everybody say Peter pipes up. Peter Popper, Peter Popper didn't pick a peck of pickled peppers. He just piped up and this Peter piped up here. And he says this, he said, he says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say, now here's where I'm getting to, to reference the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Here's Peter and Jesus having a convo. Peter gets a question right. Okay. And he says, I say to you, Pete, say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He changed his name. Did you see that? Jesus, there, because in Jesus' day, in, in, in Bible days, they, their names were given to signify things. And when you, and I, I trust in Frank Damasio here, when you take Simon down to its root meanings and you study that root meaning, uh, it means, and it's the equivalent of a reed, which is tossed, you know what a reed, it's just, 
You know, when you think about a reed, it, the wind, uh, in fact, one of the scriptures talks about him being tossed to and fro like a reed. And so here's Peter, the reed. And, and, and then as he's following Jesus, Jesus changes his name to rock. And according to Frank Damasio, I'm, I'm going to quote him because, uh, uh, and I looked at this and, and it, uh, it certainly seems to be true. The, the Greek rendering of this Matthew 16 passage, when he says, I'll say to you that you are Peter, it, it really could read like this. I'm going to begin to call you today what you shall one day be. I'm going to quit calling you a reed. How many of you know names can attach themselves to us and define us? You know, you, you know anybody named Bubba? Anybody got a nickname named Bubba? Don't they just look just like Bubba? You think of a Bubba? Somebody said you're Bubba. And so I, they, I, you know, in my mind, I'm going, well, they call me Bubba. So I guess I'll look like, act like be a Bubba. That's just my thoughts. But, uh, but here's Peter. His name was Reed. And Jesus had a plan for his life. And it wasn't to stay a Reed tossed and driven by the wind. His plan for Peter was a transformation for him to be a rock. And that was a process in his life. And what I want you to see, just as we look at the author of this letter, that he didn't wake up one day and become a rock. It was a lifelong process. There were stumbles and bumbles along the way. There were some things in Peter that were radical, uh, radically right. He got it radically right right here. But there's some things in his life that were radically wrong. Because just a few verses later, you know, you know the story, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside. I got to get this. Here's the guy who just was just uh, got it right is now getting it totally wrong. And he turned, he put, pulled Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? He said this. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So here in just a few verses, he went from, he went from Simon, the one driven and tossed by the wind. So I'm now going to start calling you Peter, a rock, someone of stability. But because you are so radically wrong here, I'm just going to call you the devil. <laughs> You got a ways to go. There's some devil still in you. There's some issues you still have to deal with. And so what I want us to see right here at the beginning of this, of this, these letters that Peter had come a long way since the days of, of, uh, of, of his early beginnings. In fact, you know, he denied the Lord. He said, I'll never deny you. Everybody say, I'll never deny you. I'm not saying that you're confessing that. I'm saying that you're repeating what Peter, everybody say, I'll never deny you. Now, you know, when you get over it, you know what that was in Peter? It was pride and arrogance, right? He was, he, he had some arrogance and some uh, overly self-confident mindset in his life. And then, so, and so with that in mind, Let's jump all the way over to chapter 5, and I'll just throw this out to you. 1 Peter chapter 5, pardon me. And look what he says. This is something he learned from experience. How many of you know it's good to learn from other people's experience? And you know what? You remember Peter went out and wept bitterly? How many of you know he was humiliated, hurt, and devastated, Right? That he had blown it so bad. Look what he writes now. After these years of transformation, chapter 5, he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with what? Humility. Somebody say humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How many of you know he got that lesson from the wellspring of experience? 
And so we see the transformation has, has really taken place in his life. As he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he, he was able to say that because he, he evidently had graduated from the school of hard knocks and the school of experience and the transformation of God had begun to be realized in his life. So I want to encourage you with that as we, as we begin this series and as we listen to the words of Peter, I want you to realize that, hey, this stuff just didn't happen. He didn't wake up one day, even though, let me just say, God inspired his words, right? All scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for training, for correction and righteousness. But listen, Peter didn't write this down, uh, as he was forsaking his ship and heading to follow Jesus. He wrote it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit after uh, uh, years of transforming, life-living, you know, changing experiences with the Master that put him in a place to be able to hear the Spirit of God, to write down things that had become experiential in his life. How many of you know we can't teach that which we do not, we can't preach and teach that which we do not practice? And so, so as we look through this book, I want you to realize that, that Peter, who's writing these lessons, is, has got some, 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 some history under his belt. He's got some hard knocks under his belt. He's got some serious mistakes under his belt. Hey, how many of you have made a few mistakes in life? You know, Peter's, man, Peter has got one couple of doozies that were written down in Scripture. Isn't it amazing that Jesus wrote down the doozies? but yet used him, come on, this blesses me, to be the first Pentecostal preacher? Does that give anybody a little, oh, hallelujah? Man, if he'll, if he'll use Peter that way, what will he do for me? Because I've made some doozies. Anybody here made a doozy or two? A couple of doozies. Hey, glory to God. He doesn't hold us uh <coughs> He doesn't hold us accountable for our doozies once we come to the place where he does hold us accountable, but when we repent and we weep and we return and we respond to the correction of God, he transforms our life. And then he takes our mess and turns it into what? A message. Somebody say hallelujah. So with that in mind, let's move on as you just uh, got introduced a little bit to Peter. The reed, the rock, the devil, <laughs> and then the apostle. Wow, what a transformation. Wow, what a journey he took. Amen. And so now, who's he writing to? He's writing what to who, what he calls the pilgrims of the dispersion. Everybody say the pilgrims of the dispersion. Now, these pilgrims, in fact, here's an interesting thing about the pilgrims. Uh, in, in fact, the word pilgrim here means temporary residence. Now, let me explain this. In fact, the only two places that this word is used in describing believers is Peter uses it twice in this first book, in this first letter. And then the writer of Hebrews uses it uses it, and I'll show it to you in a moment, but no other place is it used. But it's a great usage here in the context of both places. Now, here's the context, and I'll look at it more in depth in a moment. Here's people who have been dispersed by persecution. Now, get the picture. Put, your, put yourself in these people's shoes. And oh, by the way, we're going to learn that they were Jewish believers who were dispersed, okay? They were... They had, had lost their lands and lost their homes and lost their businesses because the persecution in Jerusalem had become so strong that they scattered. Somebody say scattered. In fact, if you read James, in fact, let me just go. James is a, is a, another letter. Uh, if I could get over there, James. What does he say? James, uh, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. Same deal. James is writing to, to uh, Christians who, who had been scattered and then began to build churches like they were supposed to do in other places. And so here's Peter writing to these, these uh, scattered Jewish believers 
uh, who had been scattered abroad because of persecution. Now, put yourself in their shoes. What would your feet, what would you, maybe what would your tendency began to be if you, that happened to you? You went from the glories of Pentecost. You went from the church exploding. You went from, hey, say you were one of the, uh, the, the people in Pentecost that had met with Jesus for, uh, for the resurrected Christ for 40 days prior to his ascension. And you heard his 40 days of church growth principles and kingdom principles. And you were so full. You felt, oh, man, I spent 40 days with the resurrected Christ. I must be special. And then in a matter of days, weeks, maybe months, All of that wonderful, resurrected Christ, supernatural ascension, church birthing, explosion, miracles in the, uh, 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 you know, coming and going, thousands of people being born again, and now pressure hits the church, and they're scattered. How many of you know most of them don't have the warm fuzzies? Are you with me? Here comes Peter, the first thing he uses. It's only temporary. Everybody say it's only temporary. You're, you're, a, and then look, look at what he says. Let me go back over there. Look what he says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. I got away from Peter. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Oh, first, it's first Peter. It's first Peter. I'm sorry. That's it. My notes said second Peter. Look at first Peter chapter two, verse 11. That's wrong. This is right. He says, beloved, here's the next place he uses this. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and temporary residents, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage, which are war against your soul. We'll talk about that in context a little later, but hey, Here's what he comes to the first thing he says to them. It's not used any other place. It's, it's a, it's a unique descriptive for these people who have been dispersed and upheaved and un, un, uh, you know, hey, man, the, the kids are not even in the same school that they were in. OMG, we got upheaved. We're living in different towns, lands, our friends, our family. This place, hey, we went from the glories of Pentecost to the trauma of persecution and having to flee even for our lives. And Peter comes and he says, Pilgrim. What's he saying? It's only temporary. And that, that, that leads me back to this theme. Hey, you're, and we're, and we're gonna, you know what we read in verse four? You're, you're, this is not, this is not your final destination. How many of you know, a lot of times when we get into a place in life that's not what we dreamed or envisioned or hoped for, we, we tend to think, is this all there is? Is this, is this how it's going to end? Peter comes, hey, pilgrims, it's not how it's going to end. Hey, in fact, your life, your journey has just begun. This is just the beginning. It's only temporary. Tell somebody it's only temporary. Your journey through this life is just a moment compared to that life. And this is what we need to really begin to embrace uh, and, 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 and understand. He said, I want you to understand that the circumstances you're going through, the, the issues, the, 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 the hurt, the heartache, the trouble, the trauma that you're going through, it's only temporary. Guess what? You have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled reserved in heaven for you. That's where you're headed, pilgrim. Amen. Hey, Jerusalem was not the end. It was the beginning. Jerusalem was not the, the, the panacea or the, what is it, the utopia. It was just the birthplace of the church. And my purpose is to expand the kingdom all over the world. And I had to give you a little persecution. We'll talk about that. But, but he, he starts off this letter with a descriptive of encouragement to get their mindset right and begin to, and begin to, uh, uh, tune their hearts and their minds to the destination and the reason for this 
transference and this, this, this journey that they were going on. Now, the other, the other passage of scripture that uses this word and describes them as pilgrims is Hebrews eleven thirteen, And it has to do, if you want to go back there, it's just to your left just a bit. He's talking about, uh, in fact, it's the faith chapter. And, and it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them. Uh, now, this right, this one chapter right here will preach. Hey, these people, as he describes them later, some of them lost their lives. They were persecuted. Some of them were sawn asunder. Uh, you know, they were beaten, uh, blah, blah, blah. Persecution, trouble, trauma. Uh, but it says this, that they saw the promises of God. They, not having received them, they, they saw them afar off and were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and what? Somebody say pilgrims. You can talk out loud here. When I stop, it means you're supposed to fill in the blank. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The same word, temporary residence. And though they didn't taste it, these people in Hebrews, these forefathers of our faith, though they didn't see it and taste it and handle it, even in ways that we see it and taste it, they saw it afar off. They realized, hey, I, my journey is not complete. I'm not going to taste it in this life, but I see it afar off. And they were assured of that. Now, this is where Paul, Peter, Peter is endeavoring to get uh, these uh, dispersed, persecuted Jews to the place where they realize, hey, it's only temporary. You need to get your eyes on the prize. You need to keep pressing forward because we're headed somewhere. And this word confessed, I love it. They, it says this, our, the forefathers of our faith, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. They confessed it. That word confess means to acknowledge and thus profess. You see, this is foreign to the American church. If we're confessing something, we're confessing a, a pay raise. We're confessing a better life. We're confessing a new house. We're confessing, uh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. It, we're so, we're so earthly minded here. But as pilgrims, we, we've got to understand there's got to be a transference. There's got to be a shift. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But hey, they came to the place where they acknowledged that they were, that this was not their home. You know, the old hymn, I love it. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door, I think, and I can't. Feel at home in this world anymore. Dottie Rambo saying, whew, hey, that's where we've got, they confess, they acknowledge, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through and I'm professing and confessing that I, this is temporary. It's only temporary. Everybody say it's only temporary. And so, so that's where Peter begins this process with these displaced, this, these displaced believers, these Jewish believers. He was getting them to understand that planet earth is only temporary. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. Planet earth is the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere. Okay. And so you get, once you began to really understand that and began to embrace that. And in fact, I, I love what Peter does here. He says, listen, uh, it's only temporary. Uh, I'll pass up verse two because I'll come back to it in a minute. He says, man, what you need to do is begin to bless God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. You think some of them had lost a little hope? He's begotten us. He born, he was, hey, that's why he died and rose again. So we could go to heaven one day. And that's the reality. Everybody said, that's the reality. And he said, we got an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. How many of you know they'd experienced some things fading away in their life? Their dreams, 
of financial security, their dreams of blessing. Oh, come on, those things had faded away. He said, I'll tell you something that'll never fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Amen. So they're pilgrims. They're passing through. And this, here we go. This is what you, you know, got to, this must become our mentality because it is, in fact, our reality. Our reality must become our mentality. See, most people's reality is just so temporal or it's just so earthly. But we've got to, we've got to realize this is the mentality. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to change the way they think about where they are because where they are is only temporary. In fact, what did Jesus say in John 14, 6 when he was talking to his disciples? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I'll doubtless come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. How many of you know that's clear as a bell? That's the reality. Amen. John 14, 6, that's the reality. We're not, hey, life on planet earth is only temporary. And so our reality must become our mentality. This is the way I think. And if you begin to change the way you think, uh, then a lot of things change. But how many of you know, this was, this is always the battle of our brains, isn't it? The temporal over the eternal. Because we're so, we're so self-minded. We think about the temporary things rather than the things of eternal perspective. And that was the disciples' internal uh, and even external conflict as well. They, they were so earthly-minded. In fact, this is interesting to me. Acts chapter 1, uh, he, they've spent... In fact, if you go through the Gospels, he explained it clear as a bell. And that's what, that's what got Peter all shook up. I read it. He began to tell him, I'm going to die. I'm not, I'm going to rise from the dead. This is the plan. He's clear as a bell. They don't get it because they're not, uh, uh, heavenly minded. They're earthly minded. In fact, and then you go to Acts chapter one, they, they've met with the resurrected Christ for 40 days. And then, and then as soon as, uh, they, you know, that's over. Their question is, oh, so now are you going to rest- your ki- restore your kingdom to Israel? <laughs> what were they saying? So, so we're about to, uh, you rose from the dead now. You go now, now you're taking over, right? How many of you know that's the way we all are? They were, they, they spent time with a resurrected Christ and the only thing they could think to ask at the conclusion of the resurrected Christ 40 day seminar on kingdom expansion was, well, are you, are you, is now you going to build your kingdom here on earth? Why? They, that's the battle of our brains. That's the, that's the struggle we all face. Is being able to make the mental shift. Here we go. Spiritual progress. This is what we're talking about. It requires a mental and moral shift from the temporal to the eternal. Not just a mental, but a moral shift. Now, let's go. Uh, I preached from here the other day. Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. In other words, the earth's going to burn up. The world's coming to an end. Everybody say, though, everybody say planet earth is terminal. Planet earth is terminal. And that's what he just said. The day of the Lord will come in as a thief and, and, and this will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, oh, oh, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now, do you see that it's not only a mental shift, but it's a moral shift because we understand eternity and we began to live with an eternal perspective. It'll, it'll change the way we live this life as we're headed towards that life. Amen. Now, look, I mean, I love this passage. Look over to, I don't have my watch in front of me, so we may be here all night. Second Corinthians chapter four. Look over there quickly. I think I'll get done in a little bit. 
2 Corinthians 4, look what Paul said about, about eternal perspective. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. For the light affliction, the trouble, the trauma, which is but for a moment. Everybody say, but for a moment. What's he saying? Just like Peter said. It's only temporary. Everybody say it's only temporary. This momentary light affliction is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Uh-oh, he's talking about, hey, the, the, the temporary circumstances as opposed to the eternal circumstances, the eternal truth and reality. He said, you, did you know what? Your temporary circumstances, if you'll just embrace them and understand them, they're actually working for you a far more and greater eternal weight of glory. How you live this life affects you in that life. Did you know that? In fact, in a few weeks, uh, we're going to start a series on Sunday. Everybody say, uh, everybody say life class. Uh, Kobe Foreman is going to teach a life class from a, a little book by Bruce Wilkinson called The Life God Rewards. And the subtitle is why everything you do on planet earth affects you for all eternity. How we live this life affects us in that life. And if we're going to, as we progress to that life, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a mental and a moral shift from the temporal to the eternal. He says it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Somebody say temporary. But the things that are not seen are what? Eternal. And so we've got to make that shift in our thinking processes. And let me give you these thoughts that maybe you can write them down and help you understand it a little better. Where your head and heart is determines where you're headed. Think about I think that's just a principle. I just made it up, but I think it's a good one. Where your head and heart is determines where you're headed. If your head and your heart are focused on the things of the flesh, where are you headed? Into the struggles of the flesh. If your head and your heart are headed towards financial gain in this life, where's your destiny? Well, you're going to say, I hope it's in financial gain. It may be, but if that's all there is, you're in trouble. Because what we've got to do is make a mental and moral shift to something more eternal. And so where where our head and our heart is determines where we're headed. And that's what Peter's trying to get across to them when he says in verse 3 through 6, he said, you need to understand something. You're, you're headed towards heaven. This is not it. This temporary problem is not it. This is where you're headed. You got to change the way you're thinking. You're, hey, you're, you're, you're struggling. You're, 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 you have issues. You have problems. You, you're, in fact, uh, verse 13, he says, gird up, look in verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, be vigilant. Uh, man, let me, I'm going to teach this again, but I couldn't help go there. That, that, that loins of your mind, uh, the Greeks talks about being tentacles. How many of you know sometimes our fault life is like a bunch of, you ever seen Medusa? How many of you, that's the way your thought, our thought life is a lot of times. Just, oh God, this, that, and the other. And, and, you know, here they are in the middle of, of losing everything. You think their mind's not just going a hundred miles an hour, worried and froth and fro. And here comes Peter saying, you better get a hold of the way you think. You need to change the way you think. Because how you think, where your head and your heart is, determines where you're headed. Now, let me build on it, and it's in a sense, in, in a sense, moving backwards, but uh, to, to build on that thought. Where your head and your heart is, and thus where you are headed, is determined by where your hope is. Look what he says in verse 3. Look what he says. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a what? Living hope. You see, what it, what's he trying to do with these persecuted believers? He's trying to get them to understand and realize and, and get, get the whole picture, the whole story. The resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't for the purpose of building heaven on earth. 
Okay, this world is, this world is on its way out as we speak. Uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was to birth you and to be, beget you again into a living hope that goes way beyond the temporary, way beyond the, 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 this life into an eternal life, a place reserved in heaven for you. So when we began to hope, have a confident expectation, of good for our future. That's Pastor Sam's definition. That we're on our way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. It'll change the way we, our head and our heart. And that'll keep us on track with where we're headed. Everybody say hope. Head. Heart. You keep your hope fixed on eternity. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, he didn't just die and rise again so we could, and I'm gonna, so we could live our best life here on earth. How many of you know he wants to bless us here on earth? But how many of you know you read any, you read, hey, you read any descriptive of any believer in any detail in scripture, New Testament or Old Testament, they all went through, pardon me, hell on earth. Because earth is not heaven. <laughs> Duh. So, so what he's saying? You got to get your hope. You got to get your hope right. You got to begin to hope on eternity. You got to have a confident expectation of good for your future because of what Jesus did for you on Calvary's cross. It's the place reserved in heaven for you. This is all temporary. Get your head right. Get your thinking cap on. Begin to think right. Begin to get your heart right. Begin to live right and get your hope right. That'll keep you progressing through this life. How many of you got? A, a thousand and one Christian friends who are stuck in this life. Whoo. It's all about me. It's about what I want, what we want, what I want, what I can, this, I can get, I want, come on. And so here comes Peter telling these folks, you got to get your thinking right. You got to get your hope fixed on eternity. Not on the things of this life. Amen. In fact, oh gosh, there's so much. Uh, look in verse 13 of that same chapter. Again, I, I, I got close to it. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ. You know what he just said right there? You gotta, you got, in fact, that rest your hope, uh, one, one translation says hope unto the end. Rest your hope fully. It means to hope without wavering. He said, let me tell you where your thoughts need to be. They need to be rested in the hope of eternity. And you have to have a confident, unwavering hope that when Jesus is revealed, you will be with him. Now that's a mental and moral shift. He's, he's, he said, you got to get out of this life. You got to get your eyes off of what you see and begin to get them on what you do not see. And begin to hope in this eternal perspective. And don't waver. Amen. Rest your hope fully upon the grace, that unmerited favor that is to be brought to you at the revealing and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And they all knew he's coming back again. He said, the angel said, this same Jesus who you saw sinning in heaven will return in like manner. Why are you gazing here? Get busy. Amen. Whew. So now the dispersion. I mentioned to you, I told you these are the Jewish believers that are persecuted because of uh, their Christian witness. They were under persecution. Uh, they were pressured. Just some thoughts, just so you know. Uh, persecute. Uh, one, one verse uh or Jesus said, uh, in the world you'll have tribulation, John 16. 
You remember that John 16? In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That word tribulation in that in there means the in the world you'll have pressure. Everybody say pressure. I'm threatening, in fact, I'm going to, I may do it. I'm threatening to write a book called The Pressure Driven Life. Life is filled with pressure. And pressure is a law of the universe. Did you know that? In fact, the, 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 the first century church, they were pressured out of town. Did you? They were pressured out of town. They were dispersed. Why were they dispersed? Because of persecution. And here's what you and I need to realize about pressure. Sometimes God is the God who pressures us or allows circumstances to pressure us. And here, here's what you need to realize. Pressure, it's not optional. You can opt out of the pressure moments of life. Oh, if we had time, I could just, tribulations, their tests, the trials, all those things. You, it's not optional. We, and, and so what, what he's trying to get across to these, this, the, these dispersed that, hey, this is just the way it is. This is momentary, but it's the way it is. Read Matthew, you go back to Matthew 24. When we talk to Jesus, they're asking, when is it going to happen? What is the sign of your coming or the end of the age? He says, see that you're not troubled, but let me tell you something, there's going to be trouble. And he starts outlining all the trouble, but the first thing you need to do is not be troubled in the middle of the trouble. That's the first thing he said. And then he said, take heed that no one deceives you. Don't be pressured. Don't let the pressure, the trouble pressure you. But in some cases, embrace the pressure. And that's what he's trying to get them. It's not optional. Pressure is one of the signs of the end of the age. Pressure on the church is one of the signs. Tribulation, problems is one of the signs of the end of the age. And, and the church has always been under pressure. Are you with me? Because here's the law. Here's what I think's the law. The principle. Pressure always produces movement. Anybody, anybody know anything about oil pressure? If you, if you got a vehicle, it's liable to have an oil pressure gauge on there and you need some oil pressure, right? Because if you don't have any oil pressure, the engine does not get lubricated and the car will seize up and stop moving. And it will be costly. Somebody say, thank God for oil pressure. <laughs> so pressure is good. Hydraulic pressure. Ooh, at the lake house. There's hydraulic pressure. We love it. Because when you get under the shower, Jim's been there. When you get under the shower, it's like a fire hose. I mean, that's how I brush my teeth. I mean, it's amazing. Have you ever been under a shower that trickly doo dah, trickly day, and you just, my oh my, I'll never get clean all this day? You thank God for water pressure. Pressure produces movement. All kinds of pressure. Uh, man, it could just go on. It's kind of a, a law, the pressures of this life. And when you think of, you know, even job pressure. <laughs> Did you know if there was no job pre pressure on the job? <laughs> Nobody would do anything. Hello? No movement would take place. If the, if the, if the powers that be said, I oh, don't worry about it. You don't have to come in. There's no pressure. If you do your job's cool. If you don't, it's cool. I, I, no pressure by me. So pressure 
produces movement. In the first century church, one of the first thing they experienced was pressure. And the reason they experienced pressure was because the, Jerusalem was not their final uh, abode. There was a place for them to go. What did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so here, what do we see Peter writing to these dispersed believers, these dispersed Jews who were in other parts of the earth? To fulfill God's kingdom purpose. You see, sometimes, and here it is, pressure came to the Jerusalem church to move them into places they needed to go, to do things they needed to do that would have never been done had they not been under pressure. Everybody say amen. So, that's why they were dispersed, because God has a way of moving us through pressure. Amen. You ever sense the pressure of God in your life? Amen. Even what did? And in fact, did you know the devil produces pressure? But let me tell you something. Uh, those those circumstances. What did Peter say? Pardon me, Paul say those those temp, those those circumstances of this life. Those things that are opposing us. It's actually working for us. How many of you know when you get pressure? Uh, Trent, I won't ask you to flex your muscles. We all know you got them. But in the gym, it requires pressure and resistance, right? And we all know that this pressure that even, even the enemy puts on us, if we press back, what did Peter say? I press towards the prize of the, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, getting from here to there. Is it, you're going to experience pressure against you and you have to exude some pressure. I press. And here's Peter coming to this church. These, these, these people are scattered through these churches. He said, listen, uh, man, this is only temporary. You got to understand this is the way it is. This was, this is the signs of the times. This is how God's working in the earth. And these temporary circumstances, they're only temporary. And you've got to press forward in the face of this adversity. And it'll work for you, Paul said, a far more and greater eternal weight of glory. Amen. Now, verse 2. That was all just verse (laughs) 1. An intro. Verse 2. Now, let me back up and say, let me just read it. And I'm going to read it. In New King James, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because it it reads better to me. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, he's describing who he's writing to, these pilgrims. You're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now, let me read it in the New uh, Living Translation. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. Somebody say amen. How many of you know before you're a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God knew you? Amen. And his spirit has made you holy as a result. Let me stop right there. His spirit has made you holy. I think of verse uh, Titus 3, 5. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So that he says, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Now, Let me take this just apart and then I'm going to kind of explain to you what I believe he's saying here. He's talking about the fact that they have been born again, right? And he's defining how they were born again. And I want you to see this truth and then I'm going to look into some of the content. Notice the triune God, the Trinity at work in the salvation of humanity. God the Father knew you. His Holy Spirit made you holy. And you obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now, doesn't that make you feel good that 
all of heaven. And not that I'm here to explain the Trinity today, for goodness sake. But God the Father, God His Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all at work in the salvation of humanity. Amen. You believe that? Say amen. Now, potentially controversial verse by some is not controversial to me. And here's the potential controversy. The phrase, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, whether you realize it or not, and I'm not, not necessarily trying to stir up uh, controversy here, but there's those that believe that God chooses some for eternity and He chooses some for not to go to heaven. That's been in, in the works for centuries. I'm not here to necessarily address that, but I'm here to address the fact of what he's really saying here, when he says to these Jews, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, it has nothing to do with whether they, some are chosen and some are not. Here's what I believe it says. And it, hey, I could be surprised by God in heaven. But the context is this. He's not writing, oh, well, let me say it this way. He's writing this letter to Jewish Believers, And you can see that in verse 11 and verse 12 of chapter 2. Beloved, I beg you, sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's important to understand who he's writing to, to understand what he's saying to those he's writing to. Now, does anybody here disagree with the fact that Jews were the chosen people of God before the foundations of the world? I mean, they were his chosen people. And how many of you know they, they, they chose not to choose him? And I don't want to get into all the theological depth of that, but we all know the Jews were chosen of God. Now, how do you think they were feeling out there? Uh, oh, and let me just back up and say, they knew as Jews they were chosen, the chosen people of God. And then when the, when Jesus showed up and he began to reveal himself to them, and then, uh, uh, Pentecost came, uh, he chose them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Jesus, the Lord. The resurrected Christ. He chose them and says, you go wait. Because I got a promise waiting for you. How many of you know they were feeling chosen of God? They were, for goodness sakes. But how do you think they... Maybe I'm reading between the lines, but here the persecuted church. How many of you think after what they had experienced there on Pentecost and what they had, were experiencing now as the dispersion, the persecuted church, how do you... How many of you, do, they, do you think they were feeling very special at that moment? And so I believe verse 2. In the statement where he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then he defines the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in their life. He's coming to them saying, listen, you thought you were chosen. Now you don't think, I came to tell you, you are chosen. No, I haven't forgotten you just because you're going through. Hey, the ball game didn't change for you. I come to encourage you. That you knew you were chosen then, and you know you're chosen. you got to remember, you're still chosen. Just because you're going through a problem doesn't mean you're not chosen. You're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That was a word of comfort to them, not a word of theology, th- theological uh, uh, doctrine, if I could say it that way. From my understanding of who he was writing to, he was making a declaration of encouragement to them. You're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Whew, we weren't feeling it, but I appreciate you saying it. Amen? So, that's my thoughts on that. Uh, and then he says to, to, and then I'm done. The last sentence. Now, again, who's he talking to? Persecuted Christians, Jewish Christians, who are going through some trouble and trauma in their life. He says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Everybody say multiplied. Now, if there's two things that 
anybody needs who's going through pressure, especially the church going through this kind of pressure. They need a multiplied manifestation of God's unmerited favor in their life and his peace in the midst of the storm. What did Jesus say? See that you're not troubled. It's going to be trouble. Just see that you're not troubled. So he comes to this church. I love it. I just love this verse. You're special. You are chosen of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all work together in your behalf. He goes on to say, and begot you again to a living hope in verse 3. But he said, so, so let me just say, I understand where you are. And may I speak over you today. I multiplied more and more grace and peace in your life today. I know you need it, for goodness sake. And everybody said amen. Whew. There you go. I love, I love this book. Let's see what time it is. Oh, it's 818. That ain't bad. Let's stand up together. And then AC just not working. All four units. I can't figure that out. <laughs> Let's stand up together. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord in our life. Lord, we thank you for more and more grace and peace. I want you just to embrace that and, and, and begin to just say in these, as we begin this journey of pilgrim's progress, let's just, let's begin to, begin to make a mental and moral shift in our life to a more eternal perspective. Father, we know we're on a journey that this world is not our home. Keep us, Lord, focused on the prize. Keep us focused on our future. Even as the forefathers of our faith, though they didn't taste it, they saw it afar off. Let us continue that journey in their behalf and confess, acknowledge, and profess that we're strangers and pilgrims in the earth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.